Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode. We thought we'd mention that this was recorded before Sir Roger Ma sadly passed away. It's fair to say that he was our Bond. He was the first actor I saw playing a spy, and he was James Bond for most of her younger years. In fact, I don't remember a bank holiday weekend without a Roger Ma Bond entertaining us on TV. But we also love Ma for his other films, such as The Wild Geese, North Sea Hijack, The Man Who Haunted Himself, and his long-running turn as Simon Templar in the Saint TV series. Outside of his acting career, Sir Roger always seemed to be a gentleman. His lack of ego and pretension about his work and his sense of humour must have been invaluable for his long-standing engagement with UNICEF. It seems the world would be a better place if we could attempt to be a bit more like Sir Roger. So join me and raise a glass as we salute Sir Roger Ma in Moonraker. Hello and thank you for joining us on episode 17 of Retrospection. In each podcast we merrily meander through a minefield of old films and TV shows and hope that one doesn't blow up in our face. My name's Colin and I'm in the United States National Science Institute Station 4. And I'm Paul and I'm keeping the British end up. In this episode we're taking a look at the 11th James Bond film, Moonraker from 1979, Roger Mars' fourth outing as Bond. And with a budget of 34 million and making 210 million at the box office, it was the biggest grossing Bond film until Goldeneye in 1995. It's easy to see why, really, and it, apparently it cost more than the first six movies put together, didn't it? Yeah, that's expensive. Well, it's James Bond meets Star Wars, isn't it? Yes. Now, Moonraker bears very little resemblance to Ian Fleming's novel. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not. In fact, there was actually a novelization. Novelization. There was a novelization of the film called James Bond and Moonraker by Christopher Wood. <laughs> Were they afraid they'd get sued if they didn't uh, try and acknowledge the fact that it was based on something very loosely? Well, Christopher Wood wrote the screenplay as well. Ah, so it's his. It's, I mean, it's it, apart from the name James Bond and the character, it's got nothing to do with anything, has it? Although it is kind of a remake of The Spy Who Loved Me. (laughs) Yeah, well, this actually wasn't going to be the next Bond film after The Spy Who Loved Me, but with science fiction films riding high in the box office, it was decided that Bond needed to go into space. Yeah, because doesn't the previous one end with James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only? Yes, it does. And then they just... That's the next one after this one, isn't it? You can see why they wanted to jump on that space bandwagon. I mean, everyone was doing it. Yeah. Everyone. Glenn A. Larson was uh, basing his whole career around it at that point, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> That's true. So the plot is, James Bond investigates the mid-air disappearance of a space shuttle and discovers a plot to commit global genocide. As you do. Yeah. Well, he it's... does. Every every other week. That's true. Yeah. It stars Roger Moore as James Bond. Lewis Childs as Holly Goodhead. <laughs> Michael. It's funny. Michael Lonsdale's Hugo Drax, Richard Keel as Jaws, Corrine Clary as Corrine Dufour, Bernard Lee as M, Jeffrey Keane as Sir Frederick Gray, Desmond Llewellyn as Q, but he doesn't get much to do in this film. He's got about two two or three scenes, hasn't he? Yeah. Lois Maxwell as Miss Moneypenny, and Emily Bolton as Manuela. Well, Lois Maxwell gets even less to do, doesn't she? That's right, yeah. yeah. I don't think she even stands up in this movie, does she? I don't 
think she, oh wait is she stood up when he goes to the second headquarters in no she sat behind the desk as well okay yes yeah then. yeah apparently frank frank sinatra was offered the role of drax at one point oh seriously that, that could have been interesting couldn't it? <laughs> i'm sure interesting is the word i used <laughs> i hope he wouldn't have attempted an accent oh no now it's interesting no <laughs> <laughs> Also, Kim Bassinger was offered a role as well, which is ironic, really, isn't it? Yeah, how old was she a bit in 1979? I would imagine that she's probably early 20s. I think she's older than, than she seems, I think, isn't how she? How old was Roger Moore in 1979? Well, if you think about it, though, when was Never Say Never Again? That was about 82. Right. So it was only a couple of years before. Yeah, and it was wrong in Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that whole thing was wrong. <laughs> So the music is by John Barry, with the theme song by Shirley Bassey. Yeah, yeah, and again, Sinatra was offered to do that as well, wasn't he? I didn't know that. I know that it was given to somebody else, and they were going to do it, but then at the last minute, they had to switch to Shirley Bassey, and it's one of the reasons the song never did well in the charts, because she never had any time at all to promote it. But she, I mean, she knocks it out, though, doesn't she? I mean, she does the usual Shirley on it. Yeah, it's a good song. It is a good song. It makes no sense, but it's a good song. It's even better when the disco beat kicks in in the end credits. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. So, shall we go straight into it? Yes. We get the MGM logo, and reassuringly, we get the United Artists logo, which I really miss. There's something (laughs) about that sound. takes me back. It doesn't feel like a Bond movie, does it, without that? No, it doesn't. The the Sony Mm -hmm. logo? No, thank you. And uh, it's, it's... We get the gun barrel sequence, which was is badly missed, I think. I know we got yeah, it yeah. inspector, didn't we? But Yeah, you really like the gun barrel sequence. I do like the gun barrel sequence. I like it even better when he walks out with those massive flurs on. Which I think he's still wearing in View to a Kill because I think they just used the same I think so. sequence. Yeah, got his cream-coloured slacks on with massive flurs and his, <laughs> and his sports jacket. <laughs> He's a stylish man. Absolutely. So we open with a plane carrying a space shuttle. Yeah, it's the first glimpse of Derek Meddin's work in this movie. Mm-hmm. And what do you think yeah. of Derek Meddin's? We should say who he is, really, shouldn't we? Yeah, Derek Meddin's is a prop designer, special effects creator who did a lot of Jerry Anderson's material, uh, Thunderbirds, Captain Scarlet, Space 1999, UFO, etc. Also did pretty much all of the James Bond films up until... Well, I mean, he's, you know, he's stuff's perfectly fine in the jerry anderson stuff because it's the jerry anderson stuff but I, I do think it sometimes it's i don't know it doesn't quite work in the bond movies i think it you looks think a it bit, looks modelish yeah, it looks a bit modelish yeah let's say i don't mind i think it's okay in this film mm. they were actually going to go with an american special effects company but they said they wanted two percent of the gross profits of the film well, the Broccoli's weren't taking that, were they? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> if we're not going to pay Sean Connery the fee he wants, then I'm going to do it for some two-bit special effects company. Absolutely. So then they went with Derek Manning, who had been doing all the Bond films previously. Mm-hmm. So two stowaways exit a hold inside the plane, and then they enter the shuttle. They start the ignition and launch the shuttle from the plane, and the shuttle's exhaust flames engulf the aircraft and blow it apart. Now, do you think that this Derek Manning's effect looked good it looks all right to me it was speeded up slightly but then that is something that appears quite a lot in this film it, it just seemed a bit modelish as i say it looked like a model on the on the end of a string that they 
blown up. You're going to say that a lot, right? <laughs> not not all the time, but you know, sporadically, I might say. <laughs> sporadically, okay. I got, big, I got my dictionary out. Nice. You're always accusing me of, of being low brow, so you know. M receives a call about the shuttle incident, referring to it as Moonraker, and asks Money Penny for Bond. Is he back from Africa? Oh, he's on his last leg, sir. <laughs> and the film continues in that vein. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> and of course, we cut to Bond's hand sliding up a woman's leg. He's on a private jet. And we get some innuendo until she pulls a gun out. He's snappily dressed again, though, isn't he? Always. He's got a white turtleneck with a blue suit combo going on. I notice how, like, the important plot points of the films we watch totally just pass you by. But the clothing <laughs> that the men are wearing, you're really spot on about what. <laughs> well, you know, I like to be I like to be in fashion. I like to keep up with the trends, you know. Of of 1970s. <laughs> well, exactly. You, 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 you know how I dress. I love the so, turtlenecks. So. Retrospection stops looking at films around 2000. Did we get this date from your fashion sense? <laughs> That's where it stops. It stops okay, dead. Dead. Nineteen ninety nine. Fine. Two thousand. No. I don't even think it goes up to nineteen ninety nine. To be honest, right. stops mid eighties. I would imagine so. Yeah. Once you hit pastels, that's it. Well, you can't be you can't be a good pastel color, can you? Oh, and Miami Vice episode is going to be interesting. <laughs> I go for my wardrobe. I might dress up for it. <laughs> oh, please don't. So the pilot also has a gun and he shoots the controls of the aircraft. Bond knocks the gun out of his hand and fights him. And he manages to throw the guy out of the plane. But that guy has a parachute on. And then a guy who we don't see pushes Bond out of the aircraft. And then we see that it's Jaws making his second appearance in the Bond series. How do you feel about Jaws? I like Jaws in The Spy You Love, mate. I think they really screwed up his character in this one. They do. They do, don't they? And I mean, we won't go into why they screw up at this point, but they, they really make a decision later that, that takes him nowhere. He's got nowhere to go after that, has he? It's almost like they wanted to do a spin-off of Bond called Jaws and then realised there was another film with that title. <laughs> Are you accusing the Broccoli's of being short-sighted? No, I'm just saying that that's what it feels like. It feels like a, a pilot spin-off for a new series. Where he just goes around eating stuff. Yeah, eating stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine what that would have been, though? I mean, how could you have sustained a, a Jaws franchise? Well, well he just works. For, yeah. <laughs> it's been done, obviously. <laughs> yeah, he just works for different bad guys. Well, you couldn't have him as the main character, though, could you? Yeah, but you see it through his eyes. Actually, I was generally, I was thinking more like a cooking show. See, that would work. Yeah, see? Yeah. You make it, he eats it. The great Jaws Bake Off. Yeah. Oh, now yeah, now we're cooking. Yeah, we're we're also very close to being sued by the broccoli's. <laughs> and Mary Berry. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh wait, she's not in it anymore. Yeah, you know what the BBC are like. That's true. Mm. They're great. They're great. <laughs> I may want to work for them at some point. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, sorry. But. Bond flying out the aircraft. He doesn't have a parachute on, and he plummets to the earth. And we find, and we get the first Bond refrain from the music. At this yes, point. yes. This aerial stunt combined with the music is fantastic. Yes, it is. And now, did you notice that the stunt double? You could see the goggles on his face. Yes. Well, yeah. that's fine. You know, maybe he whipped them out of his top pocket in his sports jacket before. Uh... 
Yeah, he always carries goggles with him. He carries everything else, doesn't he? So That's right. He always yeah. has the right tool for the right job. Q, you should him with goggles. Absolutely, because just in case you get pushed out of a plane without a parachute, you might and need Bond it. Bond was like, mm, goggles. Wow, oh, that was like, it's like, like Roger, you in the room. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, what do these do? Oh, they protect your eyes. Is that it? Yeah. Hmm. Little does he know that these are going to be vitally important. <laughs> yeah, you can actually see the uh, the bulge of the um, parachute under the stunt double's jacket, can't you? Yeah, but you have to look closely. And you would never have seen it in the cinema. It's only because we're sitting there on a TV screen. You know? Absolutely, and we're watching it in HD. And, and, we, and we've seen it a hundred yeah. times. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, for the, for the sake of... For the sake of, of, of authenticity, though, I think they really should have made him jump out of the plane. Without, without a parachute. Without a parachute. Apparently, it took him um, 55 jumps to film this sequence. Because they filmed it in three... Ooh. Now, I've, in my head, I've got three-second intervals, but that seems really short. <laughs> <laughs> that seems really what, short Were they four foot off the ground? Is that... <laughs> no, like, they filmed... Very sharp pieces, and then they let them land. Then they had to go back in and do it again. I could be why it took 55 attempts. Yeah, because they could only film so much. Yeah. Uh, I know that the, the cameras, they had to make a special camera because cameras are too heavy to put on the helmets. Mm -hmm. Because when the parachute opens, the G-Force drags you back, or it feels like it, and your head would fall forward, and the camera would snap your neck. Nice. <laughs> so they had to make uh, special cameras with a plastic widescreen lens because widescreen lenses are usually really heavy. And the cameraman had to have rope around his parachute to slow down the opening of his parachute. Wow. Don't you feel that the, 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 the Bond people did this a lot, though, that they would come up with ways of doing things that had never been done before? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like the flip of the car in, um, is it Live and Let Die, where they yes, they flip the, the car screen. over? That had never been done yeah. before. They had to figure out a way no. to do that. And they're always on the cutting edge of stuff. Yeah, do you think they still are? No. You don't think? You don't feel that way about the... I don't I think the helicopter sequence inspector was quite impressive. Okay. But very rarely do I look at a new Bond movie and think, oh, that's something I've never seen before. Right, right. It could just be that, you know, back in 1979, there were a lot of things that we'd never seen before. But now it's all been done. Yeah, it's had, it, must be, it must be difficult to come up with, you know, innovative and effective action sequences when there's so much action out there now that's, that's being done. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But I do like the way that the Bond producers still try and do everything practically if they can. Yeah, yeah, except for dying of a day. Well, are you telling me that car wasn't really invincible? Invincible? Invisible? <laughs> uh, invincible and invisible. I'm telling you all those people surfing. I, I, I thought you were going to tell me that Pierce Brosnan was CGI created. Only in the later ones. <laughs> Is that why he's so angry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Back in the film, we've got Bond plummeting to the earth without a parachute. We've got the pilot with a parachute. So Bond skydives to the pilot and grabs him. And they fight. And then Bond manages to take the parachute from him. This blew me away as a kid. I thought this was fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is an, an amazing opening. It is. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And it's still good now. I think it's one of the best ones. Um, obviously, it's not, it's not as good as the ski sequence at the, end of, at the beginning of Spy Love, right, obviously. Because... Right. Very little yes. is, but but it's up there. I think it's in the it's in the top two, top three. Yep. I think. So he puts the parachute on, clipping it, but Jaws is closing fast, and Jaws tries to bite Bond, 
but Bond pulls his rip card and leaves Jaws. Um, what's interesting is the stunt guy for Jaws isn't wearing Jaws' teeth. He's wearing these really white pair of, <laughs> of false teeth. They look weird. They look like a, some kind of some bleach Californian guy. Maybe maybe there was a problem with the teeth, or maybe it's just the fact, like we say, that you know you wouldn't have seen that at the time, would you? No, it would have been just like a three-second mm-hmm. flash. And you'd be if you saw this in the theater, you'd have been so blown away by what was happening in front of you that you wouldn't have been picking at the time, would you? <laughs> like us two sitting here now. You stand up. I'm sorry, but I'm not accepting. <laughs> <laughs> theater manager, turn it off now. <laughs> I demand so... that you reshoot this. <laughs> the theater manager. <laughs> Anybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> You, you would have you would have done that back in the day though. I know what you're like. <laughs> I never said boo to a goose. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I just get it afterwards. What? Like, oh yeah, yeah. That came out wrong, didn't? <laughs> I mean, so... I get it in the ear afterwards. What? No, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Jaws pulls his rip card right off, and so his parachute doesn't open, and he crashes into a circus tent. With... Not without trying to flap his arms first. <laughs> oh, never one for a con- We know where we are, don't yeah, we? Got... We know where we are at this point. And we get circus music. Yes, yes. And then we get the one of the classic Bond credit sequences. We melt into Shirley Bassey singing the theme song. You, you melt into Shirley Bassey? Wow. Always. We have opening credits designed by Morris Binder. No, I always thought that... It must have been, you must have felt so silly when you were shooting these opening credits. Why are you asking me? No, I felt okay when I was doing it. The bikini rises up a little bit, but other than that, perfectly fine. Next. (laughs) Well, you know, they're standing there against the blue screen or whatever, just pulling these shapes and leaping around and vaulting over things. It's probably great for the guy directing it, obviously. You're going to be in the opening credits of a Bond film. Yeah, but you must feel silly at the time, is what I'm saying. I mean, you um, don't know how it's going to turn out. You're standing there, you know, in a what? in a onesie or whatever it is you're wearing. Onesie, okay. <laughs> yeah, they're quite fun. They look good. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the old style Bond credits. I think I think they're great. You don't like the new ones? Like a lot of the new Bond, it's got that kind of we think we're so clever thing about it. Okay. You know that we're taking something that you know. And we're spinning it in a very clever way, and we know we're clever, and you know we're clever. You know, we're homaging it, but at the same time, we're kind of, we're, we're we're kind of not poking fun at it, but but just they feel like they're taking it to a new level. When I'd be more than happy for them to just do what they were doing before, you know. Right. But I suppose times have changed, and yeah, they they don't make Bond films for old farts like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're saying. You're probably right there, yeah. <laughs> so we open on on Q, M, and the Minister for Defence, waiting for Bond. He's late. He enters the office. I love these briefing scenes, you know. You do? I miss them. I miss them. Oh, okay. You know, Bond going in and, and getting get an omission and the banter between M and, and him. You know, that you that I know they try and do banter now. It always seems to like have a point now where it was just banter before i felt you know right it's always like they're trying to move the plot forward with 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 it you know it's always personal the things that they talk about with each other it's never just bond just getting a mission anymore 
but in this one he's been called to deal with Moonraker. The story is that the plane and the shuttle crashed, but in truth, the shuttle is missing, hijacked. Bond points out that Drax Industries in California built the shuttle, so that would be a good place to start. Q tells Bond to roll up his right sleeve and straps a device on his wrist. When he lifts up his wrist, it fires a dart, which he accidentally does, hitting M's painting of a horse in the ass. In the ass? It does. Oh, it does, yes. Now, doesn't Q tell him that this is sta- this, um, standard equipment now for all double O's? Yes. Now, am I imagining this, or do we see the dart gun again in another Roger Moore movie? Oh, I I don't remember. Listeners will have to write in and tell us. I'm sure I have a vague memory that we do get another glimpse of it. In a later maybe in, one? Maybe in, maybe in For Your Eyes Only. Oh, that's interesting. Which okay. which would make sense, because if it's if something's standard issue, you're not going to use it just the once. Huh? <laughs> that is true. That is true. Although most gadgets in the Bond films were used once. He doesn't normally tell him that it's standard issue, does he? Right. He just kind of gives him something new that, that he's going to need later. Cause Interesting. Q, Q's got that kind of foresight, hasn't he? Yes. Did he get given a watch at this point? No, I think, I think again, we're confusing it with another one. Um, doesn't he get a watch that has a laser in it? No. In a previous I'm, I'm, one? There's a scene later on where he uses his watch, and I'm wondering how suddenly he had this watch. Did we see it at this point? Because I didn't remember... No, that he, he definitely doesn't get it in this scene. So I okay. think he's always had it. Oh, okay. That's just... part of his stand. Mm-hmm. That's that's his standard equipment. Yes. Oh, yes. okay. And uh, this this Bond uses his standard equipment quite a lot, doesn't he? He certainly does. He does. <laughs> Surprising, in, it works. In California, Bond is picked up by a female helicopter pilot called Corinne Defar. She shows him the Drax estate. She says what he doesn't own, he doesn't want. She tells him, welcome to California, and he says, I like it already. <laughs> he does. But there's one thing, but there's a, if they fly over a giant complex with the words Moonraker, like written across it in big letters, and Bond goes, is that where Moonraker is built? <laughs> it's like, oh, you're a detective, Bond. <laughs> he does that a lot in this movie, though, doesn't he? <laughs> Glad you're observing. <laughs> He calls out a lot of stuff that, that just to clarify for the audience. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. And then he sees Drax's home, which is a giant European mansion with massive landscaped gardens. There are people in the garden exercising. They are astronauts in training. And there's a lot of attractive women. There are. Yeah. Karin tells Bond that Drax pays for the training out of his own money. And Bond, eyeing the women, says, hmm, he seems to have an eye for a good investment. Yes, he does. And he also says, oh, he owns a lot, doesn't he? Now, I, I kind of all, I get the impression at this point that, that Bond's already decided that he doesn't like Drax. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a possibility. You know, he's like, he's like, he's like, this fucker's got more women now than I've had all dinners at this point. I'm not happy about this. <laughs> now, what do you think, just as an aside, what do you mm. think about Roger Moore at this point? Do you think he was starting to maybe look slightly too old or do you think he's just on the cusp he's good here this is it this is this is bond right mm-hmm. this is he's perfect here after this we're going down uh, see i would argue that the spy who loved me was his was his the, his greatest time you know was his golden okay moment okay. you know all right he's still okay in this right but, right. You, but i agree that after this things start to go right 
you know yeah but i but i'm watching this i don't sit there going oh he's looking old i think he's too old for this no and i mean as long as you ignore the liver spots on his hands you're, you're fine octopusy and v to a kill <laughs> yes didn't he yeah. say that when he knew that it was time to go when the bed sheets were used to cover up his breasts and not the ladies <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> No, nobody's more derogatory about themselves than Roger Moore. I know, and he he he's said some quality things about this movie in the past. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one he always singles out because it's yeah. interesting because they they really went a different way with the one after this, didn't they? With for your eyes, yeah, on yeah, they did. They went mm-hmm. back to basics mm. as much as you can get back to basics with Roger yeah. Moore. Yeah, <laughs> if you go too far back to basics with Roger Moore, there's nothing there. That's true. <laughs> Just eyebrows. So when they land, Butler Cavendish takes Bond to the drawing room to see Drax. Drax is at the piano, faking playing it. He's a phony. See, I I didn't get that for a long time, that he wasn't actually playing. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. He's just hovering his hands over the keys, isn't he? Yes, yes. But you can already tell that he's evil. He's got a beard. And he's got that um, Dr. Evil suit on, hasn't he? Yes, I think it actually says on the lapel, Dr. Evil suit. <laughs> Made by order. Well, I mean, it's Blofeld's suit, isn't it? With a little bit of a twist. That's and he's European, remember? <sighs> <laughs> Drax needles Bond by saying it's nice that the British sent him to apologise for losing his shuttle. Bond says that the British government will apologise to the Americans when they've worked out how the shuttle could vanish. Mm-hmm. And we see Drax feeding raw meat to his dogs, but they don't eat it until he snaps his fingers. And then they eat, they eat it pretty fast, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> when they do, they speed it up. It's interesting that even in 1979, we're still getting that in Bond movies. Yeah, they were really late to the game. They just mm. kept using it. Drax offers Bond tea, which is served by a Japanese guy yeah. who, in the credits, is called Chang. But every character in the film calls him Char. <laughs> Do you think there were some rewrites going on? I don't know, because Ocha is Japanese for tea, and Char is Korean for tea. Ooh, I cut you. Uh, so I don't really know what's going on there. I think they probably just banked on the fact that nobody was listening anyway. Maybe. He's, so, just, he's just henchman one, isn't hench- he? Henchman, yes. Mm-hmm. So Drax, oh, Drax says the only, tea is the only decent British contribution to life. Yeah, but then he offers Bond a cucumber sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it's very European, those. He is. He I never understood. Said... Wait, wait, wait. I never understood the point of a cucumber sandwich. I don't understand the point of cucumber. I mean, isn't that part of a salad? Oh, it depends what you're using it for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do tell. <laughs> no. Was... What do you do with your know, cucumbers, I... Colin? No, come on. I like... I like cucumbers, but I'm not in do. a sandwich. Or yeah. if I, if they're in a sandwich, I want something else with them. Such as? Meat. You want meat with your cucumber? Now, do you put it between two buns? Uh, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> now, when Bond leaves, he turns around to... What's his name again? Chang? Chung? I'm going to call him Chair. Cause okay. I he turns around to him and he says a great line, doesn't he? He says, see that some harm comes to Mr. Bond. Yeah, it's a it's a brilliant line. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's one of the things about this film. There are a load of really good lines. Well, there's always good lines in the Roger Moore Bonds. Yeah, but I think this is really like 
one after the other at some points where it just keeps coming and going. It's it's quite it's I, I, I was really impressed. It's nice. Dare I say it's almost carry on bond? No, it's not. <laughs> let's, so, let's not go down that road. Oh, <laughs> well, it's not. Because then we could just do the cast from Carry On Spying. <laughs> that is true. They did do their own Bond movie, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. kind of. Uh, so Drax tells Bond that Corinne will escort him to Dr. Goodhead, who will show him around. Bond thanks him in a way that suggests, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> Which Roger Moore is really good at. That's his entire attitude to everybody, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, like when he meets um, Christopher Walken in View to Kill, it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. he's already decided he doesn't like this guy and that there's something not right going on here. So Bond meets Dr. Goodhead. Now, oh. there are two things here. First of mm-hmm. all, for a film series accused of treating women like objects, it's interesting that in this 1979 film, we've already had a female helicopter pilot and we have a female rocket scientist. But hmm. they ruin it <laughs> by having <laughs> Bond when he's introduced to Dr. Goodhead going, a woman? <laughs> now, do you think that they thought that they were being, um, you know, that, that they were poking fun at him rather than, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't cementing his opinion. You know, it wasn't like saying that this is what we all think. It's like saying how wrong he is. I do because she puts him in his place straight away. And she's quite a strong character throughout this film, I think. Yeah, I mean, don't forget, we'd seen female helicopter pilots in Goldfinger. We'd seen women in James Bond films doing things that I don't think they were doing in other films of that period. Yeah, it's exactly like when we spoke about the carry-on movies, isn't it? That You know, they get accused of sexism when they tend to be the, the female characters that are the, are the, the more with it characters they're the more intelligent characters and bond gets the same thing leveled at it you know it's sexist it's misogynistic but yeah a lot of the time a lot of i mean there's been exceptions obviously oh yeah 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 dr christmas jones comes to mind but um for the most part there's been a lot of female characters in bond right from the very beginning you think about um honor blackman you know yeah but even christmas she's a nuclear scientist (laughs) well you buy that do you no, but a character is a nuclear scientist. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave it at that. Yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> so Dr. Goodhead takes Bond around the complex and she takes him to a centrifuge trainer, which is a device that simulates the force of gravity when you launch into space. And the speed is regulated by a controller. Does she tell? I like the way that she tells him, I'm on loan from NASA, and then tells him, you know, the space administration. Oh, because oh, you know, I got confused with the other NASA. You know, the the um, the 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 one that take out the bins every Friday. That NASA. Oh, that NASA. Mm. Why does she have to tell him? Everybody knows what NASA is. I mean, he's James Bond. Maybe she just thinks he's an idiot because of his his comment at the very beginning. It would be an easy mistake to make at this point for her, I think, especially with that tie on. Sorry to bring it back to the clothes again, but that's a massive tie. But it was the 70s, didn't they all have massive ties in the 70s? Well, nobody else has got quite as big a tie on as what James Bond has. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah, maybe, like, maybe it's his manliness. It's indicated by the size of his tie. Could be. Or the size of his flares. Right. It's amazing mm. he's not tripping over all the time. <laughs> oh, tripping everyone else over. The flapping around, you know, in the wind. Mm. It's a good job he's not in a wind tunnel. 
So Bun decides to try out this centrifuge trainer and she tells him that 20 G's can kill you and the most that people can take is 7 G's and then they pass out. But there's a chicken switch which when he releases it the machine will cut out. Unbeknownst to Bond, Char has got into the controller and rewires the switches. She tells him, doesn't she, that you know a 70-year-old can take three Gs, which I thought was quite funny because she's only has to wait a few more movies and we'll get there eventually. <laughs> Maybe that's why they did it. <laughs> yeah, probably. So the centrifuge accelerates three Gs, four Gs. Char keeps turning it up, and we get and it is speeded up at this point, hmm. like literally in the film. Now, do you know how they did the whole? Um... The whole flapping face. They have a hose that blows air, right? Yeah, and he got very badly bruised around the face, apparently, because they were blowing him so hard. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> Not everything I say is an innuendo. I didn't mean it's it that fam- way. This is a family show. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Got out the family then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't say what type of family. <laughs> Manson family, probably. <laughs> <laughs> So the machine hits 7G, and Bond frantically presses the chicken switch, but it does nothing. 9G, 10, 11, Bert's hat. Bert? <laughs> We're in The Simpsons now. <laughs> Bond's heart is racing. He starts to lose consciousness. He's getting very jowly as well at this point, isn't he? Yes. Flapping around like nobody's business. Well, you would, having the wind blown up you. But he manages to twist his wrist <laughs> Who and misses? fires the gun into the control panel, stopping the centrifuge. At this point, Dr. Goodhead decides to turn up. She doesn't know what could have happened. Something must have gone wrong with the control. Bond doesn't seem to believe her, and he sees Char in the control booth. Now, is there a suggestion here that maybe we're meant to think that maybe she's in on it? I think Bond thinks she's in on it. Right, okay. Definitely, because mm-hmm. he doesn't know who she is, really. So he, he definitely thinks she's in on it, yeah. But while he's spinning around in it, we get that little cut to her on the phone where she said, oh, yes, we're, really, we're taking really good care of it. Yeah. And she says it in a kind of sinister way, doesn't she? Yeah. So you're obviously meant to think as the audience that... With, with a lisp and a hunchback, yeah. No, she doesn't. I was <laughs> <laughs> just exaggerating. I was looking for my was, notes going, what? I was <laughs> just exaggerating the sinisterness of it. Right. <laughs> so at night, Corrine is brushing her hair and Bond enters a room. Doesn't even knock. Well, he wants some sexy time. I mean, he's got his... Uh, no, his... he doesn't. He wants information. You, you, no, 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 you're judging him wrong. He's got his sleuth sto- stroke sex suit on, hasn't he? He's got his all-in-one black thing going on. You think that's how they sell it? <laughs> that's probably how Q gives it to him. <laughs> oh, oh, Q... Wait, you're saying Q provides his clothing? He provides everything else, doesn't he? Well, we never thought he provided the clothing. I thought Bond went to a real tailor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Except Daniel Craig, who his bond doesn't go to a tailor. His bond goes to Fogs R Us. <laughs> it does always amuse me that you compare Daniel Craig to Sid James. They look the same. <laughs> Couple more years, Sid James biopic, Daniel Craig, dead cert. Well, I think he's heading that way. If you could just master the laugh, it'd be perfect. Or if you gained a sense of humour. <laughs> yes. So that's not likely to happen either way, is it really? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> By the way, we love Daniel Craig. Yes, we do. Yes. And if he ever wants to come on the show, he's... <laughs> give it five years, so... he'd be desperate enough. <laughs> well, give it five years and we're doing a carry-on special. You can come on. <laughs> so... Sexy sign, he ki- sexy sign. He, he kisses Corinne, mm-hmm. and she says, you presume a great deal, Mr. Bond. 
But then he starts to question her, what goes on here besides Moonraker and the training of the astronauts? And she tells him they're working on something very secret, but it's recently been moved. She doesn't know where. And of course, Bond goes to bed with her, the rascal. She gives in pretty quick as well, doesn't she? It's only a two-hour film. <laughs> He's on the clock. I'm not going to watch an hour of them getting to know each other, dining, taking her out, going to the cinema. <laughs> Introducing to his favourite albums. I'm just saying, you know, his, his, his powers are amazing, aren't they? You know. Well, well it's edited. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> it's, the, it's the magic of the editing room, a bit like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Bond leaves her bed and sneaks into Drax's office. Kareen enters and doesn't stop him. He finds a safe and opens it using a gadget and a cigarette case that we did not see him given, did we? Did we see no, this? No, we never saw that either, no. Is this a previous movie gadget either? No. Although he has oh. used safe-breaking gadgets before, right? Yeah, this is an x-ray machine, isn't it? Yeah. Because he holds right. it up to her boobies, doesn't he, and makes a comment. Yeah, he does. Yes. So he takes out the documents from the safe, showing a glass vial made in Venice. Mm-hmm. And takes photos with his mini camera, which has 007 engraved on it, with the lens creating the double O. Do you think that's in case, you know, if he's ever hanging around, you know, in the double O's apartment one day, they get them mixed up. You know, they know which one's which, don't they? You're not going to take 005s, are you? They're all got to Yeah, and it's also, like, if you're in a swingers party, they don't use keys. They throw in the, (laughs) they're engraved, and you pick out the one you want. Actually, that wouldn't work because then you know who you'd get in, right? Yes, yes, that wouldn't work, would it? No. So what, what about this whole thing that, you know, we, we, we haven't talked about it yet, but there's this whole joke yeah. that people, people that don't like Bond movies always bring up, and they say he's the worst spy in the world because everybody knows who he is. Right, even Roger Mars talked about that, mm-hmm. that, you know, James Bond announces himself as James Bond wherever he goes. But in the earlier Bond movies, he always had an alias when he would go on missions. Yeah, it, they gave up eventually with that. <laughs> I suppose um, when he's defused, you know, the, the fifth or sixth nuclear bomb before it goes off and his name's all over the papers. Because they do kind of refer to him like everyone knows who he is, like he's really famous, don't they? But it, Yes, they do. But I guess he's famous in the underworld. Ah, uh, he's the guy you don't mess with. But, he, you know, it's just a conceit of films and TV. You can't have him going around going, the name's... Smith, uh, <laughs> Carl Smith. Yeah, he's got to say his real name, otherwise the film doesn't work. So, what about having 007 printed on things, on equipment and stuff? I guess, yeah, it's bollocks. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> but I suppose only the people who know what the double O stands for would know what that means. And who's going to everybody? See his, which is everybody? It well, seems. Well, he's not going to be showing his secret camera to people. Although he shows his secret camera to a lot of people, but no, he's not going to be double exposure. Oh, how long were you working on that? It just came to no, me. No, that's scripted. <laughs> that camera's small. He's going to need a longer lens. Trust me. It's wide focus. <laughs> oh right, take your word for it. Bond tells Corinne that she should leave, so she leaves, but she is seen by Char, who also sees Bond leaving after her. By who? I'm going to call him Char. You're going to call him Char? Yeah, I mean, he's Chang in the credits, but Drax calls him Char. I've just seen if you're being consistent. Bond calls him Char. Okay. You you should change it every so often, like they do in the movie. Why should I be? Yeah, I was going to say, why should I be consistent? (laughs) They not. So now we cut to a pheasant shoot. Yes, yes. A pleasant pheasant shoot. So we get the impression, don't we, that, that Bond's not happy about hunting, is he? 
Right, but also I'll point out that the cut from the quiet, soft music to this shooting is pretty jarring and effective. I liked it. It is, because we cut, don't we cut to the, the guns going off and the pheasants flying out of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a big, like, whoa, surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get the feeling that Bond doesn't... Because I guess he sees it as non-sportsman-like. Well, apparently it comes from Roger Moore himself. He he asked oh, that he, really? he could portray that portray it that way because he, he's dead against hunting of any kind and he doesn't like guns anyway much more but punching children and living like die that's okay <laughs> well you know you've got to draw a line somewhere haven't you all right i know he was upset about that too uh well he he, he never liked any anything where they tried to push him more towards the more aggressive sean connery-esque right. bond, that, that, didn't they? yeah that that's not him mm-hmm. no and, he, and he's uncomfortable when he does it yeah, it is. I think there's a moment, isn't there a moment in um, in his very first one, Living Let Die, where he slaps a woman across the face and throws her on the bed, which is perfectly fine for Sean Connery to do that, because we all know he'd probably do it in real life. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Enjoy those lawyers. <laughs> you reckon he's listening? I, I imagine like he's sitting in his, wherever he is, in his Caribbean island, dreaming about how Scotland is wonderful. And then I imagine his ears suddenly pricked up. <laughs> I'm on his radar. For some money I could make. <laughs> He's not going to get a lot, trust me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It works for Connery, but it, it doesn't work when Roger Moore tries to do that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a scene in The Saint that always makes me laugh. Oh, the, the spanking Moore. scene. No, no, no. There's a scene where he's going. To, he's got, grabbed the guy by his shirt and he's going to punch him but his fist isn't towards the guy it's up in the air like he's doing a salute (laughs) and he's threatening the guy with the fist like pointing upwards and it's as if like either a could you not threaten a guy with a punch in those times on tv was that a censorship issue or is it just that roger moore didn't want to have a fist in the guy's face but it looks laughable i can completely imagine it because I always found that Roger Moore during the fight scenes, he was never that convincing. No, he's better in the the one-liners and mm-hmm. the, the romancing. No. He, I mean, he doesn't like he could he could literally wipe the floor of anybody, really, does he? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the bugle call is the first few notes of Also Sprague Zarathustra by Strauss, used in 2001 as Space Odyssey. Yes, it was. I mean, a man hiding in the tree with a sniper rifle, the bugle call was indication for him to climb the tree and get ready. And Drax asks Bond to join him on the pheasant shoot. The man in the tree aims. The pheasants fly. Bond shoots, misses the pheasants, but shoots the sniper out of the tree with a shotgun. <laughs> but he's Bond. Right. And he does, it does lead into a great line, doesn't it, where Drax says, you missed. And the guy falls out of the tree and he goes, did I? <laughs> yeah, it is good. How did he even see him? Oh, yeah, you couldn't see him. You couldn't even hit him with that gun. He's got a sixth yeah. sense, Bond, doesn't he? He has a very sick sense. Yeah. Oh, wait, six sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Bond leaves and Corinne arrives. Drax sent for her. He knows she showed Bond the safe and he terminates her employment immediately by releasing the dogs on her. She runs through the woods. The dogs leap and bring the man in a, in a dress down. Oh, I mean, they bring Corinne <laughs> down. Sorry. This this always freaked me out as a kid, this, this bit in this film. It's almost oh, it's really? almost like from a, from a horror movie, isn't it? It reminds me of something that, that you might see in The Omen or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's very dark. She's got her screaming, and yeah, breathing heavy. Yeah. And I think it's the idea of what those dogs are going to do to her. 
You know, they're literally going to tear her apart, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> Bond doesn't give a give a toss though, does he? He never asks after her again. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. He never mentions her or asks where she is. He doesn't really. Yeah, that is true. Mm. I never thought about that before, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So now we're in Venice. Mm-hmm. Bond enters the glass. Starstroke Museum. I'm not quite sure what this place is. <laughs> that was indicated on the documents he found in the safe. Um, the receptionist says, can I interest you in anything? And he says, well, I'm tempted to say yes immediately, but I should have a look around. It's very good. And then he wanders into the back room of the warehouse and she's not like, hey, hold on a minute. But nobody stops him. There's people working in there. And <laughs> yeah, he's just wondering. <laughs> they like blowing glasses, flames everywhere. And he's just like, hmm, I'll just walk around. <laughs> now, he missed a great opportunity for a line, though, didn't he? Go on. When, when he's watching the guy doing the glass blowing, you should have said something like, mm, be careful that you don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> Might, might, might be employment for my grasshopper sound. <laughs> Tumbleweeds. So they don't make a sound. <laughs> Blowing wind. I just have a... <laughs> well, I thought it, it amused me. It would have been funny if it had said that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Be careful you don't of... suck. Be careful you don't suck. Yeah, it doesn't get funnier the fourth time you say it. It might do. They try no. it in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. So there's a tour of the glass... Shop, stroke, museum, whatever this whatever is. Whatever yeah. Yeah. And uh, Bond sees Dr. Goodhead pretending to be part of the tour. He notices her sneak away from the tour through a side entrance and follows her across a courtyard. Now, is this the courtyard in Casino Royale? I think it is. Looks very similar, doesn't it? It looks, yeah, it does look very similar because mm-hmm. we're in Venice in both films. Mm-hmm. And he finally confronts her next to a canal. Mm-hmm. She says she's in Venice addressing a seminar and he doesn't believe it. He asks her to dinner. She's busy. He asks her for drinks afterwards. We know she's going to give in. She does ask him what he's doing there as well, and he says that he likes to keep abreast of things. Yes. Yes. So he boards a gondola. <laughs> <laughs> a boat chugs by. The bomb music slowly eases in. This other boat has a coffin on it, which opens and a man sits up. He has a selection of knives. He throws a knife and kills Bond's gondolier. He throws another knife that misses Bond. Bond grabs it, throws it back, killing the man. And then another man lets rip from a machine gun. And Bond engages a control and his gondola turns into a speeded up speedboat. It is a speeded up speedboat, isn't it? Now, apparently yes. this really didn't work very well at the time. Oh, you it? can't tell. Apparently Roger Moore, he fell in the water quite a lot, apparently. Oh, really? That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't get it to work. Oh, okay. Did you notice the the, uh, the the stereotypical name that Bond's uh, very brief gondolier guy? Oh, what was it? Franco. Franco, <laughs> excellent. He looked like the guy, didn't he? You know the guy from the adverts, from the Cornetto adverts in the 80s? Oh, well, yeah, don't all gone. A speedboat pulls out and another man with a gun gives chase. Bond avoids another gondola, but the speedboat cuts it into two, although the kissing couple don't even notice. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a good funny gag. gag. Got to get, yeah. It's a good gag, yeah. Then he engages a hydrofoil, mm-hmm. and the gondola turns into a hovercraft, which Bond drives through the streets, and we get a classic Bond double-take from a man drinking wine. Now, the Bond series is famous for its double-takes. Let's hear about some others. 
Join us for our retrospection top 5 countdown, the best double takes in the bottom movies. Straight in at number 5, it's the Tobogganist. I'll have a cigar please. No, that's a Tobogganist, I'm talking bobsleigh. One second you're speeding your way to a gold medal, then that crazy James Bond is skiing right behind you. You shouldn't look, but you know you have to, because it's for your eyes only. Clinging in at number 4 is the beach wino who can't believe what he's drinking, from the bottle no less, when up pops Bond in his submersible lotus and dries over the beach towels. Maybe that drink was stronger than you thought, that's the spy who loved me. Two places down from last week at number 3, it's a second appearance from my favourite wino as he double takes at the label of his mind altering vintage while old Bond sails up the street on his gondola turned hovercraft in Moonraker. Still there at number 2, it's the poor palace wall guard in Octopussy who sees the female trapeze artist appear from nowhere, but he's only got time for a quick double take of the label on his bottle before he gets his comeuppance. I guess you shouldn't drink on duty. But holding in there at number 1, it's the pigeon from Moonraker. Some people may say at this point the Bond films have gone to seed, but not me. Just look at that acting. Not just a double take, but a triple. Excellent work, Mr. Pigeon, and no mistake. But really, that pigeon is a class act. But it is one of the stupidest things in a Bond film. It is. But it is quite funny, though, I have to say. It is, yeah. I think it's funny because it's so stupid. But, yeah, that is true, yeah. <laughs> we also get the uh, the drunk coughing guy who appears. He's, this is like his second appearance in a Bond movie, isn't it? He's looking over the bridge. Yeah, but do you know the guy who does the double take with the wine mm-hmm. is Victor Turjansky, and he's also the guy who does the double take in The Spy Who Loved Me, yes. and also in For Your Eyes Only. Yes, I remember he's, the he's, one on the beach. He's Definitely. always the one with a drink in his hand. Ah, yeah. right. So it's like a, an on-running gag. Yeah, but I have a theory about this. Okay, do tell. I think he's 008. See, right. he's always sent to the same place Bond is in case Bond screws up, but Bond never does. So over the years, 008, he's just become an alcoholic because he's sick of seeing Bond get the gadgets, he gets the girls. And he never sees any action himself. Exactly. So all 008 does now is just go to the location and drink. <laughs> it's not a bad gig, you got to say. No, no, plus the double takes are like, oh, look at him, he's got that gadget. <laughs> What have I got? I've got some sunscreen. Yeah, and a hat. <laughs> and a hat. But then again, he's got he's got a bottle of wine. He is true, and he doesn't have to face death all the time, <laughs> except from you know um, liver disease. <laughs> but apart from that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's a good theory. No, the next Thank time you. I see him, in, next time I watch, maybe. Um, um, which one is it that he's on the beach? Spy Love, Spy Love Me. Me. Next time I watch Spy Love Me, I'm going to look at him in a whole new light. Yeah. Yeah. Look at him as a disgruntled spy. I like that. He should get his own spin-off series. Oh, yeah, he should. Yeah. What, what would he call it? He can't call it James Barnes. can't call it 008. Um, disgruntled Spy? Oh, no. No, no, no. You could call it, right, World is Not Enough, but just use the initials. <laughs> which is wine <laughs> was that was that just off the top of your head yeah i just thought that was that amazing now. that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> i'd watch that yeah i'd watch that and i'd drink with it too absolutely 20 minute web series 
45 yeah. episodes per season. <laughs> <laughs> Every episode's the same. He's just sat somewhere drinking and Bond walks past. You don't even see yeah. Bond's face. You just you know it's Bond. You just oh, yeah, yeah, because it's going to afford to have Bond, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Just his, just his legs, yeah. yeah. Just some flares going past. Yeah, and the episode's only like three minutes long. No, it's actually, you know, it's a minute long. It's just <laughs> him walking long, past yeah. and him going... <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's perfect. Get on it. All right. But back to the real Bond film. <laughs> if we have to. <laughs> Bond escapes, and at night he sneaks into the glass museum. Mm-hmm. And as he's hiding, he sees a scientist, I guess he's a scientist, enter a secure door of a keypad that plays the sounds from close encounters of the third kind. It does. It does. Now, he had to ask permission from Steven Spielberg for this, didn't he? Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. Did not know that. No, and um, and then subsequently down the line, Spielberg had had to ask the Broccoli's for permission to use the Bond theme in one of his movies. Oh, let me guess which way this went. No, they actually said yes, but they had to, he, oh. he had to take a note out apparently. Which note? I can't remember which note, and I can't even remember which movie it was. But they took one note out, so it missed a note in the Bond theme. So it was the Bond oh. theme, but not the Bond theme. That's kind of churlish, right? It is a bit, isn't it? But that's kind of what they do, isn't it? Inside is a laboratory. Now, we know that these guys are scientists, going back to you, you saying maybe he's a scientist, because yeah. they've all got their uniforms from evil scientists or us. What, what are evil uniforms for scientists? White one-piece suit. And they've all kind of got that same sort of whitish hair as well, haven't they? You know, they he obviously hired them at the same place. Okay. Obviously the same place where later he gets on the phone when he needs a new henchman, doesn't he? Which we'll get Oh, through. but the guy who provides henchmen is also the guy who provides evil scientists. Obviously, obviously. That's, how it That's works. kind of a good gig, right? It is. It is, especially when you've got, you know, you must have a never-ending supply. Because, I mean, Bond kills about 50, 60 people per, per movie, doesn't he, usually? So, That's right, yeah. You know. Yeah. Maybe he's in on it. Maybe Bond's in on it. Or maybe he has shares in the company. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll kill about 40, 45 in, in this mission. Get them ready. Right. Get them ready. You're going to get that call. Now, Bond's not big on health and safety in this sequence, is he? No, he's not. As soon as those those scientists leave that room, he's straight in there, isn't he? He doesn't think about any kind of contagion that might be going on or anything. That's true, because the people he's dealt with previously, they had all sorts of nastiness going on. Well, man, to be honest with you, I mean, he's Bond. He's probably riddled with things, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's got so much going on that, you know... What's an incurable, you know, disease here and there between friends, you know? That's true. He's had them all. So he does enter and he looks at the glass bowels and takes one. And he's examining how they fit together with the equipment. But then the scientists return and he hides in the other room. Mm-hmm. And they move the equipment, but the glass bowel falls and breaks. And then the scientists start choking and screaming and then die. They die in unison as well. Did you notice that? Yeah, that's how that does, that uh, poison works. Oh, is it? So it's all simultaneous, yeah. is it? Yes, exactly, yes. That's an amazing amazing breakthrough there, isn't it, really? It's pretty good, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Let's hope Trump doesn't get hold of it. <laughs> <laughs> Bond leaves the lab with the vial, mm-hmm. and he's attacked by Cha, wearing a full kendo outfit. So, here's my question. Okay, go for it. Does this guy know that Bond is here? And does he just run back and get his full kendo gear? 
Or is he just wearing this anyway, standing on a street corner, you know, smoking a cigarette, waiting for a, a protagonist to just come past that he could beat the hell out of with his stick? What, what, how, why is he in a full Kendo outfit? It's an, an odd choice to go up against a super spy with, isn't it, really? It's a complicated outfit to put on. It's not one that you can just throw together. Why don't you just use a gun? That, that, that's, that would be a good answer. Why don't I use a gun? There's a lot of that in Bond now, isn't there? Imagine going like, oh, hold on, I've not got my chess pieces on, whatever they're called, the kendo outfits. He's <laughs> putting the helmet on. Bond's like, oh, come on, we're going to have a fight. I'm not I'm not going to shoot you. I'm not going to throw a knife at you. I'm going to get my big wooden stick. Yeah, and my yeah. full outfit. So Bond yeah. runs back into the glass museum. Which is like, Could he have chosen a worse place to run back into? He's a good fight sequence, though. Yeah. Oh, say. it's excellent. Yeah. The yeah. stick screaming Kendall guy demolishes the place. There's some speeded up stuff again, though, isn't there? Yeah, and he's also demolishing the place for the guy who owns it that he works for. Yeah, he's not going to be happy, is he? No, explain that to <laughs> HR. So, so, so you killed Bond, but <laughs> I've got this bill for five of... million quid here. Yeah, right. <laughs> The Bond picks up a saw, but that's knocked out of his hand. He picks up a vase, an alarm goes off, and Bond puts it back on its pedestal. It's a good gag. It is. A, it is nice. Chair runs away, but how is this vial not crushed in his pocket? Because Bond's been thrown through all sorts of things. In all fairness, he does check it out, take it out, and check it occasionally, doesn't he? But I, the only reason they do that is because people are sitting there going, "How's that vial not crushed?" <laughs> Maybe he's got it nestled under his uh, man flaps. Oh, maybe. That's always where I put my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered what you were going to say then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I was going with it. Bond chases up some stairs and he sees some crates marked C&W Rio de Janeiro. Chair jumps out the shadows and hits Bond and they fight in front of a glass clock, which looks really nice. Oh, this looks fantastic. The way it's lit, the way it's backlit. It looks, mm. it looks really, really good. Yeah. Um, very similar to the fight in the Daniel Craig Bond film. Skyfall. Skyfall. Yes. You've got to say the Skyfall one looks better. Yeah, but then they could look at this one and what could we do better? True, true. And they're not dealing with um, Roger Moore. That's true. They're dealing with Mr. Grumpy Pants. Mr. Grumpy But at least he looks like he can throw a punch. Yes, that is true. Yes. Mm-hmm. So down below outside is an opera singer which continues singing away until Bond throws chair through the glass clock and he crashes onto the piano. And Bond says, play it again, Sam. Beautiful. Yeah. Now Goodhead returns to her room and finds Bond already there. He questions her and he starts looking around the room and finding all various spy type equipment. Picks up a pen and finds it's a syringe with poison. He pockets the pen. He does, doesn't he? And do you know what? I didn't clock that the first time. Do you know what? Mm-hmm. It's the first time I've clocked it too. Yeah, because it, it comes into play later, doesn't it? Yeah, and I never knew where he got it from. And now yeah. when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh, of course, that's where he got it from. We're Which, so unprofessional. I know, but it made me question all the other gadgets then. Like, oh, did I miss him giving oh, this? He, did he miss Is that why you keep asking Yeah, yeah, because I was like, wait, um, did I miss this? Have I always missed this in the millions of times I've seen this film? But no, some of them, <laughs> some of them are suddenly appear. Yeah, yeah. And then I think sort of... I think we're just meant to presume that you know he he does have standard equipment that he carries around with him. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he also discovers that a diary fires a dart, and she puts on perfume. He picks up another perfume and knows it fires a flame. 
Mm -hmm. So he knows she really works for the CIA. And then we have sexy time number two, don't we? We do, yes. Mm -hmm. Over her shoulder, Bond sees plane tickets. Where Where are you planning on going from here? She lies about going nowhere. Bond suggests they pool resources. Yeah, yeah, I know what he's. I know what he means by that. I know which pool he's interested in. Uh, during, <laughs> during the night, he sneaks out, but she actually knows he's gone, and she immediately calls for her bags after he's left. But they can't trust each other. Absolutely. The next day, Bond has called the Minister of Defense and M to see the secret lab in Venice, mm-hmm. but it's not there. I do like the way that M sticks up for Bond in this. Yeah, he does, right? Yeah, because the the yeah. other guy that's with them, he's like, you know, this is this is disastrous. I play bridge with this man, you know, about drags. Right, yeah. And M's like, well, you know, if James Bond says that he saw something, then I can guarantee you, sir, that he did see something. Yeah, but when Bond takes out the vial and says, you should have a cue look at this, M goes, oh, there really was a lot. <laughs> so he didn't really believe him. But he was sticking up for him, though, even if he didn't believe sticking him. Up, yeah, yeah, he was sticking up for his employees. Do you think it's that thing is like, you know, I can call you every name under the sun, but nobody else says it about my my boy, you know? Yeah, and I, I think, think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. So M suggests that Bond takes two weeks vacation, and Bond says, oh, I think I might go to Rio, which was the name of the country that was on those crates mm-hmm. earlier on. Mm-hmm. And then we get Drax on the phone, don't we, to the henchman temping agency. Yes, yes, because he needs somebody to replace Char. And who do we get? Jaws. Jaws. Because he's still not yeah. dead. Even, even no, though... amazing, amazingly. <laughs> amazingly. Even though he fell out of the a... sky without a parachute. <laughs> oh, well, there's worse to come. There is a lot worse to come. <laughs> Bond landing in Rio via Concorde. Is that important? Who's paying this? Oh, that's what's important. He's got a blank check, basically. I would have thought, has Pierce too. I think that's why M always has a problem with him, isn't it? Because he just seems to <laughs> spend money left, right, and centre, doesn't he? Right. <laughs> so Bond takes a taxi from the airport, and he's followed by a beautiful woman taking pictures of him. Mm-hmm. When he turns up at his own hotel room, he finds the woman already there. But we get the bit. With, we get the bit with the porter first, don't we? Let's just say he's a, he's a little bit camp, isn't he? Yeah. And it's not. I mean, you wouldn't get away with that today, would you? No. No, although it's not as it's not slightly as bad as uh, a woman. I'm surprised. Yeah, no, I'm surprised he didn't just say, "Hmm, a gay." <laughs> <laughs> uh, the woman is Manuela, his contact. Mm-hmm. Bond asks her if the initial C and W from the crates mean anything to her. She says yes. They're a big importer here in Rio and a subsidiary of Drax. And then we get uh, sexy time number three. Yeah, because at first he wants to uh, address the situation, and then he wants to undress her. He does. He just starts doing it, doesn't he? He just yep. starts taking her clothes off, and she's like, and she, "All right, whatever." Yeah, <laughs> she's like, it must be in the contract. It's got to be, hasn't it? Do you think they're all yeah. told? You know, if you work with Bond, just just go with it. <laughs> yeah, because normally you won't take that from any any of our male employees, but Bond's pretty good, so we need to keep him. You know what, though? If, 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 if 008 tries it, you can just do whatever you want to him. Knee him in the balls. No one will care. He's so drunk he'd never get that far, would he? Yeah, right. But the yeah. thing is, we never actually see Bond. We always see the before and the after. We never see the during, do we, in any of the movies? Well, that would be a whole different kind of Bond film. But what I'm saying is, maybe they put up with it because it doesn't last that long. Or maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe there is only the beginning bit. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe the, the beginning bit is it. 
Yeah, he unwraps the present. And he's done. And then that is like, if, oh, if that, you know what I mean. Yeah, that was fun. Hmm. Oh, we're deconstructing Bond here. That <laughs> <laughs> should be the podcast, new podcast, deconstructing, deconstructing Bond. Deconstructing Bond. Debonding. <laughs> Debonding Bond. Yeah. Right, let's get on with it. Yes. So there's a carnival going on, and Manuela and Bond thread their way through it to find the warehouse for C&W. They mm-hmm. head around the back towards an alley. Bond climbs up a wall, leaving Manuela to wait in the alley. And we get cut between Bond making his way through the warehouse and with Manuela watching a tall clown approaching. I always thought this was creepy as a kid. Yeah, that clown is creepy, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's even worse when you find out who's under it. Yes. But in the inside the warehouse, Bond finds that it's been abandoned, but he's lucky to find some Drax stickers. <laughs> Just laying around, you know. <laughs> Those decals are terrible to stay on, aren't they? I mean, you, you iron them once, they come off. Do you think, you know? do you think they're, but they're, they're huge. So do you think they have a giant saucer of water that they put <laughs> them in to get the backing off so they could use giant tweezers to put them onto the, <laughs> the crate? In, the, in this movie, anything's possible. Okay. Yeah. Outside, the clown removes his head and we find out it's Jaws. He's back. Yeah, he grabs her and he's about to bite her neck, but a crowd of revelers approach. He pretends to be dancing with her. She struggles, and he's about to try her for another chomp when Bond sees him, and he leaps from the wall, knocking Jaws away. Yeah, and he, I love the way that he smiles at him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bond just gives him this smile. He's like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's an old friend. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to say, though, that both Roger Moore and the actress um, play Manuela, they look so tiny, don't they? Next oh, yeah, they do. Richard Keel. They do, yeah. <laughs> His hands are huge. Yeah. <laughs> but they're lucky because a huge crowd drags Jaws away. Mm-hmm. No, did you did you notice how he tries to struggle against the crowd, but in the end he just kind of shrugs and goes, whatever, yeah. <laughs> and just lets them carry he him He likes off. a good party. <laughs> he does, you know. Bond tells Manuela that the warehouse was empty except for this Drax decor, for Drax Earth Freight. And they operate from a local airport. Mm-hmm. So now instead of going to the airport, Bond decides to choose a very high mountain to peer on it from a telescope. <laughs> Sponsored by 7up, apparently. Oh, God, yeah. But I guess worse <laughs> later. He sees a drag's plane taking off, and then he sees Goodhead also looking through the tourist telescope back at him. Mm-hmm. Bond tells her the warehouse is empty. Goodhead tells him that Drax's planes have been leaving every two hours. Something is happening. And they decide to take a cable car back down the mountain. That's safe. Yeah. We, we, we all know cable cars are safe, but not in movies. Well, it, well, it is kind of safe because most of the time they're just standing in the studio with some rear projection yeah, going that is pretty on. bad. <laughs> Don't you think that the rear projection in, in the Roger Moore movies is, is mostly bad? I at think, times, even in View to a Kill, which you know is his I last. I think time. the back projection is bad in all James Bond films. I mean, remember, yeah, the, the, remember Goldfinger, the, where they're sitting, where oh. they're just sitting outside playing cards. <laughs> yeah, yes, they're supposed to be outside, but they're in the studio. Yeah. So why did you do that? Maybe that's where George Lucas got his idea from for those prequels. <laughs> okay, for the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a real set in any of those movies. That's true. Is there? If it's good enough for Bond, it's good enough yeah, for George maybe. Lucas. Yeah. So we find that Jaws has actually followed them to the cable car, and he jams the cable car mechanism, stopping it. Mm-hmm. 
So the one with Bond and Goodhead is halfway down the mountain and then swings to a halt. Mm-hmm. For some reason, Bond suggests it's better to be out than in. <laughs> he does. He says, yeah, he said we should get out, doesn't he? Why? I, I don't know. Is that ever a good idea in a cable car that's stuck? No, I mean, if the thing's going to fall, you're still going to fall if you're on top of it or if you're inside of it. Yeah, if you're going to magically grab the cable and just hang for the rest of the day. <laughs> Although, you know, we, we did see Bond manage to get a parachute from a guy when he didn't have one. So, you know. So he's just thinking of himself. He's like, it's better than I'm out than in. You, you're screwed either way. Well, I think I think Bond is quite a selfish uh, spy. That is true. He? he did use a woman as a shield. <laughs> And he's not interested in the one who's just been eaten by dogs. So, right, that's true. You know. Yeah. Jaws bites the cable, which rocks the cable car and sends James over the side, but he managed to hang on. Now, how does he bite this cable? Because, all right, he's got metal teeth. Right. But he's still got a human's jaw. <laughs> okay. Are you, suggest- <laughs> mm, are you suggesting there might be a flaw in this? I think there might be. Yeah. So, so his jaw's not mechanical. He's just got no. metal teeth. So he's just got the metal strength teeth. of his mouth. But he's supposed to be insanely strong. That insanely strong? I mean, that cable's pretty thick. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's made to hold a cable car. Exactly. Although apparently in the shot where he bites it, it's made out of licorice. Ugh, I'd rather eat a cable car. <laughs> so would I. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> Maybe the cables are made out of licorice in the movie, and that's why you could bite through it. Just really, really strong licorice. Yeah, maybe they're made out of licorice in real life. We just don't. That's what I'm going for. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. You said in the movie. Yeah. That was always my problem with Jaws. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So Jaws climbs onto another car and makes his way to them, thanks to a henchman who has now taken over the controls. That we've just seen. Yeah, he just appears. The car moves towards Bond, and as the cars hang side by side, George jumps over to Bond's car, and they fight on a set. I love the line where she says, do you know him? And he says, not socially. (laughs) (laughs) But this fight is rubbish in close-up, because it's clearly on a set, but in long distance, it's great. Oh, yeah, the stunt work on the actual cable cars is amazing. The people, the fact that... I mean, I know they're obviously harnessed up, but... The wait, fact wait. that someone actually did Are they that. harnessed up? Surely even the broccolis wouldn't go that far, would but they? But <laughs> I don't see a harness. There's no well, wires. You're not going to see it, are you? How? It's 1979. They can't CGI these things <laughs> out. That is true, I suppose, yeah. I think we need to watch the documentary and see whether they really did. But I, I've got a feeling they weren't harnessed up. Wow. If they, if they weren't, that's amazing work. Maybe they had a really thin cable. <gasps> Maybe they were just hooked on by licorice. Yeah, they've got to be careful with that, though, because you can bite through it very easily. That's true, but it's very strong otherwise. It's just biting that ruins it. It just tastes horrible. That is true. <laughs> That's why no one bites it. <laughs> That's why they hold them up. You know, yeah. Nobody's going to touch that. No. So they eventually manage to push Jaws into the cable car and shut the hatch in the roof. Mm-hmm. Then using a chain, Bond and Goodhead abseil down the cable. And the henchman speeds up the cable car so that it plummets towards Bond and Goodhead. And at the very last minute, they jump clear, and the cable car crashes into the control center, which seems to me a design flaw of cable cars. It <laughs> doesn't do... stop. Yeah. It doesn't stop, <laughs> yeah. And goes way too fast. But you make sure you see that 7-Up sign go crashing forwards, don't you? Yes, for the mm-hmm. f- second time. In this now, is this sequence. a miniature? 
Or did they build this and actually crash something through it? Because it doesn't know. look like a miniature. It doesn't look like Derek right. Medin's handiwork, does it? Okay, no, it doesn't. Mm. Looks too good. <laughs> wow, you really got it in for Derek. No, 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 I'm just saying, compared to, you know, his usual work. Jaws is pulled from the rubble by a blonde girl with glasses and a pigtail, and we get the music by Tchaikovsky, Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet, as they look into each other's eyes, and then they go off hand in hand. <sighs> and at this point, Jaws' character is ruined for life. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know why this happened, don't you? Because he was popular, I guess. Yeah, and they, they were getting a lot of mail from kids saying, why can't we make Jaws a good guy instead of a bad guy? Oh, really? Because we like him so much. So Damn kids. So the the, the, uh, the word came down from above that the uh, they had to change it. Wait, God was interested? <laughs> that is broccoli, isn't it? He is God. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Bond and Goodhead dust themselves off and kiss. Paramedics arrive and... They knock Bond out. Yeah, they cosh him, don't they? Yeah, and they must work for the NHS. That's how we do it these days. Yeah. That's how we do it. Okay. (laughs) Inside the ambulance, both Bond and Goodhead are tied to stretchers. Sorry, I've got toad to stretchers in my notes. It threw me off for a second. (laughs) Toad to stretchers? Apparently. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? How would that work? Don't know. You'd have to to be careful of the warts, wouldn't you? Warts? But then again, but warts. Toes give you warts if you touch them. Oh. But then again, I, I would imagine that Bond's probably used to warts of one shape or form. Probably, <laughs> yes. So while she gets the attention of the attendant, Bond manages to unattach the side of the stretcher to get his hands free. The ambulance continues up a winding hill covered in 7-Up, Avert and Marlboro. Oh. Bond kicks a fire extinguisher on that sprays the attendant. He fights him. There are 7-Up adverts, Marlboro. Bond and the attendant fall out the back of the ambulance. The attendant is on the stretcher. There are seven up adverts. Marlboro. <laughs> the stretcher flies down the road into a Marlboro advert. <laughs> Possibly there could be some advertising. At this yeah, point. I'm sensing a theme going on here. You do? <laughs> right. And then we get Magnificent Seven music, don't we? We do, by Elmer Bernstein. Mm-hmm. We're in Brazil. Bond is wearing a poncho. We don't know why. Why, why is he wearing oh, a poncho? No, we have no idea why. Why? <laughs> He's even got a little, little cigar poking at the corner of his mouth, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm not even sure. Like, if I saw that, I would think Mexico. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Because isn't Magnificent Seven set in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. And isn't a poncho something that you stereotypically associate with Mexicans in that period, like in the 1800s or whatever, Western yeah, films? Yeah. I mean, he, they're, they're trying to make him look like Clint Eastwood, aren't they? Yeah, and mm-hmm. we're in Brazil, which is a totally different country. <laughs> it's close enough. They're not going to know. <laughs> Don't think about it. <laughs> it's fine. Now, in, in Brazil, a foreign country, apparently MI6 has an HQ. <laughs> They've got them everywhere, haven't they? Apparently. Yeah. Obviously. Q is demonstrating the latest weapons, including a laser weapon. Yes. We might see that later, do you reckon? Maybe. He's also got bowlers as well, hasn't he? Uh, I think that's just the way he walks. <laughs> that's almost as good as the line in the movie. What was the line? Doesn't, doesn't Bond walk up to Q and go, balls, Q? <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. I love these Q workshop scenes in these in these. The, the, I call them the Tango and Cash workshop scenes, but it's okay. They're better than the yeah, Tango yeah. and Cash. Yeah, I was joking. I was being sarcastic, though. 
thank God for that. <laughs> Don't remind me. I'm still getting flashbacks. <laughs> so <laughs> Bond goes to report to M, and the reports of the vial are back. And I like it when um, Q says, "Oh, you seem to be right." 007 and I love Ma's facial expression at this point he does a really good face <laughs> as if to say well what, what do you think I like it it's good uh, don't you know how this works now yeah. <laughs> so the vial contains a toxic ingredient from a rare orchid that kills people but not animals or plant life and the orchid can only be found in the Amazon yeah and Bond knows all about it doesn't he he does in fact, he corrects them, doesn't he? Q, Q names the wrong plant, doesn't he? And he corrects it. Yeah, which is a thing that started with the Roger Moore films, where that Bond now knows everything. Yeah, because Connery always gave the impression that he didn't know a lot of stuff and he didn't care. He did at the beginning, and then I think in Diamond, doesn't he know a bit about diamonds in Diamonds Are Forever? Yes, he does. It, creep, yes, it creeps he does. in there, but then they go crazy with the Roger Moore ones, where he knows everything about everything. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of a smug git, really. He, he's isn't he? turning into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So they give Bond a boat, speedboat, and he mm-hmm. heads along the Amazon. And a, and a rather nice fetching uh, safari suit. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I like I like my Roger Moore in a safari suit. It seems natural. You do like he's like in his own. Yeah. Habitat. Yeah. When I think of when I think of Moore's Bond, I always think of him in in the cream safari suit. With the massive collars. In the, in the creamed <laughs> safari suit. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> he does have the, he does have the uh, jacket open to the navel, doesn't he? <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Wearing one right now. Ah, uh, yeah, I can attest well. to that. <laughs> so he's just merrily travelling along the Amazon. I, does he even know mm-hmm. where he's going? He doesn't look like he knows where he's going, does he? Well, how would he? It's a rare orchid. It's not found, like, at this location. It's oh, is rare. that why he's there? Yeah. I didn't realise why he was there. Because the, this rare orchid is only found in a certain place in the Amazon. So, so he's, he's thinking to... the bad guys might have their lure nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Probably. So Makes sense. The, so they can found the orchid. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. Okay, so then suddenly explosions rock the boat and Bond is chased by Drax's men in speedboats firing grenades. Mm-hmm. But Bond has a few tricks up his sleeve. He drops mines behind him, blowing up one of the boats. And this this music by John Barry is iconic, isn't it? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, there, is, wow. is this theme got a name? I can't remember. It's called John Barry's Iconic Theme. That's good enough for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws is in one of the chasing boats, or at least a superimposed version of him is. Yes. (laughs) And Bond's boat is also equipped with torpedoes. And when one of the boats blows up, we get the famous Wilhelm scream. Which sounds like this. Are you going to play the Wilhelm scream? Yeah, I just said I'm going to put the Wilhelm scream in. No, I thought that was just you. Saying it. Let's hear it again. No, I'm pretty sure it's you. <laughs> That's the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, and the Wilhelm scream is a famous uh, scream that's been used in lots of films. Uh, Indiana oh. Jones films use it, Star Wars films use it, and it goes way back to, you know, early Hollywood. I use it in real life. You do? When? Yeah. Monday mornings. <laughs> oh, I've heard you use it. Yeah? Yeah, I said, oh, it's your round. 
<laughs> that is exactly right. There's there's some great dummies flying around when these boats explode as well, isn't yes, there? Yes, there is. Yes. The fact that they bothered, I think it's quite nice. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate their dummy skills. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you you wouldn't traditionally bother with the dummies, would you? You just blow the barrel up. No, there'd just be an explosion and boat pieces, and then that's mm-hmm. it. It's got that nice right. 70s nastiness about it, I think, sometimes. Mm, yes, it does. So Bond is heading towards a waterfall, but with a flip of a switch, he's attached to a hang glider, and he soars over the Amazon basin. The Amazon basin? Is that next to the Amazon toilet? Ah! Oh, that's appalling. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jaws panics and pulls the steering wheel of his boat, which plunges over the incredibly high. Human killing. Never anybody going to survive this kind of waterfall. But the waterfall has never met Jaws before, has it? That's true. Now, be- now before that's he goes true. over the edge, he comically pulls the wheel off as well, doesn't he, of the speedboat? Yes, and then does, does a double take like he didn't know the waterfall was coming towards him. That's right. Well, no, he must have known it because that's why he pulled the steering wheel. So why do a double take after you pull the steering wheel? Because <laughs> he's double taking because he's pulled the steering wheel off. Okay. The double take is for a steering wheel, not the waterfall. But he's looking He's looking at the waterfall. Maybe. Ah, no, right. The double take is one take for the waterfall, one for the steering wheel. Well, he likes his double takes, doesn't he? It's a Bond film. <laughs> Still not as good as the pigeon. No, no, nowhere near. That pigeon needs that. That pigeon should have won an award. Uh, for a minute, then I thought he was going to say that pigeon needs a spin-off series. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all you've been saying for this whole film. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Double oh, O yeah. teams up with the pigeon. Right. But the pigeon is the one that solves everything. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Because Double O too pissed right. to do anything. Just keeps drinking. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, it would probably sell. Probably would. Yeah. 10, 11 seasons out of that crap. Yeah, a whole universe. <laughs> it's a Bond universe. That's what they're missing, yes. a universe. Bond sure you... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Get on it. Okay. Get on it. All right. So Bond lands and wanders through the jungle mm-hmm. until he sees a woman in a white dress. Yeah, she's just wandering around, as far as he knows, and he follows her. He does. Until she arrives at an ancient pyramid, which is not actually in Bra- the Amazon. It's actually in Guatemala, and it's used in Star Wars, and you hope. I thought it looked familiar. I thought it looked familiar. Yeah. She enters. Bond follows. Doesn't seem the least bit suspicious at the moment. Yeah, but he's not stupid enough to walk across that bridge, though, is he? That she's beckoning him across. Yeah, because inside it's like a tropical paradise melded with a modern design. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, a whole bevy of beautiful ladies appear. And Bond is like, well. You know what he's thinking? He is. I'm going to be knackered. He's worried about his trouser snake. Let alone... Any other kind of snake. Well, he's going to meet one in a second because the floor springs up and Bond is knocked into the water, populated by a giant snake. But luckily, what's he got? Besides the obvious. Besides the obvious. Well, what he has got <laughs> is a pen that he took from Goodhead that contains a poisonous syringe and he stabs the snake, injecting it with the poison. And as he climbs out, Jars is waiting for him. This uh, snake's a bit rubbery at times, isn't it? Yeah, it does. it does look a little fake. Yeah. And then Drax appears and says, you defy all my attempts to plan an amusing death for you, Mr. Bond. And Bond says, hmm, he had a crush on me. That's right, he does. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Not the best line in the film, because that's coming up later. Yes, it is. Right at the end. No. My one's a little earlier than that. We'll we'll get to it. That'd be interesting. 
differing favorite lines. Mm-hmm. So we get Bond taken to the huge control center that Drax has created. Mm-hmm. And we learn that all these different shuttles are taking off. Moonraker 1, Moonraker 2, 3 and 4, they all launch. And Drax tells him why he hijacked his own shuttle. He needed it because one of his own had developed a fault. So he needed to take the one that he was given to the Americans. So he risked exposing his entire plan for the sake of one shuttle. Apparently. Even though he's got about 10 others. Yeah. Okay. All right. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? It does make you wonder. Yes. Yes. But we're not. We're going to move on. (laughs) Jaws takes Bond to a room and locks the door. And inside he finds Dr. Goodhead. Yes. She's a... She's got a nice. She, they've changed her clothes and given her some nice um, high-heeled shoes to run around in. Well, that seems like a bad idea. It does, and she doesn't take I them sh- off. Well, although maybe they thought she couldn't run in them, and that would be a good way of stopping her from trying to escape. I just think it's nice that they gave her some more clothes. Yeah, but I think they could have given her comfy shoes. What, what, what was wrong with the clothes that they captured her in? Why did they have to give her some a different uniform? Well, where did they capture her? Uh, she was she was still in the um, back of the ambulance, wasn't she, when Bond fell out of it? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But obviously, well, you know, you go to the evil futuristic lure, you've got to put a onesie on, haven't you? Like everybody else. Yeah, but she was she was working for him, so her clothes are already there. He's got her size, hasn't he? Yeah. So the room, table, and furniture disappears, and they find they're underneath the engines of the next shuttle to take off. Once the engines start, they'll be killed instantly. Using his watch... No, this... Yes, this is the watch we spoke about. No, it wasn't mentioned earlier in the movie. Okay. Okay. But has it been used in previous Bond films? I can't remember. It looks familiar. Whether he's used it in the exact same way or not, I don't know. It probably had a laser on it the last time we saw it, but... (laughs) A, A real Bond fan would be able to tell. Have we got one? No. <laughs> well, supposedly. I know. I know. Using his watch, Bond rigs an explosive device around the nerve vent. They climb into it and scramble along, pursued by the flames of the now launching shuttle. They escape back into the complex. They steal a vehicle and the uniforms from the passengers and make their way onto Moonraker 6. Yeah, it's lucky they ran into those two guards, isn't it? Well, there's plenty of them milling around. Yeah, there's just two on their own driving around by themselves. But what is lucky that uniforms fit a male and a female of their particular heights. Even though it's two guys? Yes. That they take them from. Yeah. But it's a unisex uniform. Well, you know, any self-respecting, you know, evil bad guy is going to have unisex uniforms because, I mean, you just don't know, do you? Well, no, it's not about not knowing. It's about cost-cutting. <laughs> what, because he spent so much on the evil lure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, you spent so much on the evil that you couldn't afford another shuttle. You had to steal one that you sold to the Americans. You're not then going to bother about designing different uniforms for the women in your army than the men. You're going to have to have one single design. Maybe don't build elaborate traps with snakes and and things that flip you out into the water and stuff. Maybe, you know, you could, I'm sure you could cut back on that, couldn't you? Yeah, but you did that first. By well, that, that, you build, oh, you build inwards is what you're saying. Yes, yes, you build those oh. first. And then when you've got to the middle, you're like, ah, damn, I've run out of money. <laughs> for uniforms. Unisex uniforms for all. Okay, I'll go with that. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So luckily, when they're on the shuttle, they don't have to fly it as it's controlled by the computer. It's also very lucky that the two people they got were the pilots of this shuttle. Yes, it is, isn't it? Because they didn't know that at the time, did they? No, they just grabbed two people. Mm-hmm. I only just realized that now. 
funnily enough. Has it ruined the entire movie for you? Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so the shuttle launches and they're now in orbit and they can see all the other shuttles heading for a rendezvous in orbit. At this point, Godhead starts to write something down. She takes a floating pen and a mm-hmm. floating notepad and starts taking notes. What is she writing? <laughs> um, she's decided she's going to do this properly. Well, yeah, I mean, she's professional, isn't she? Yeah, it just seems weird. I think the whole point of her writing stuff down is just to show us they can make a pen float to make it look like they're in space. I think, I think it yeah. is, yeah. Or that could be the point where Broccoli gave her a contract. Oh, and she signed it right there and then. And she signed it, <laughs> yes. Okay. We do get some. We do get some um, really good slow motion space action. We do, we do. Don't we at yeah. this point? And Bond no. puts on the cameras to look at the cargo. There's passages. Bond surmises that this operation is like Noah's Ark. Yeah, Drax is setting up a sex farm, basically, isn't he? Um, you could call it that. I call it the future of humanity. Yeah, I think we all know it's a sex farm. So they finally see a space station, and it's a nice reveal at the station. I like it. Yeah. Oh, you're equally as impressed. I like that too. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit modelly, oh, isn't it? You and your models. Well, I'm just saying, you know. I mean, uh, okay, this is Bond meets Star Wars. We've had Star Wars. Nothing in Star Wars looked as modelly as this. Okay. This is what right. I'm saying. You know, for a movie with a budget this big. Oh yeah, doing. I can't remember what Star Wars' budget had, so that'd be interesting. It was yeah, tiny, it was. wasn't it? Star Wars yeah, was very was. low budget. Interesting. You know what I'm saying? But I bet those special effects people, I bet they got a percentage. What, the Star Wars people? Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, it was John Dykstra. I mean, he's... He's got a percentage. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't like it. (laughs) So this... There's no image on the radar screen, so this space station is jammed. So nobody on Earth knows it's there. Yeah, she mentions that at least three times. To get the point across. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The shuttle's dark. We get lots of shots of weightlessness until an astronaut turns on the gravity control, which is created by the space station spinning, which the gravity kind of appears pretty quickly, even though the... <laughs> it does. Just, just starts spinning, and then everyone's like, oh, okay. And then the astronaut says, life support system is nominal. Nominal? How oh, <laughs> fucking excellent. <laughs> I want the best life support system there's ever been. Nominal? I, I'm not even sure... The correct definition of that word, but it sounds like a word that's used for, eh, it's okay. <laughs> we'll wing it. Yeah, basically. that's not what I want in my life support system. But again, you've already said cost cutting. So you reckon you just the basic life support system, mm-hmm. so that people are not like <sighs> sucking in her; they're just breathing almost normally. Yeah, but but not more. He's got the bare minimum working just to get everyone through it. That's what I reckon. Okay. <laughs> I, for some reason, I thought that this grizzly bear called Minimum was just working. <laughs> Seeing a console in the corner. Yeah, yeah, he's got... Oh, I see he's got the bear Minimum working. <laughs> Morning, Minimum. He, he's just <laughs> slamming the keys with his paws. Yeah, yeah drooling. <laughs> we need to get him in with 008 and the pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> he, could be the, he could be the bad guy. He could be. Yeah, yeah a villain, the bur minimum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why it just popped into my head. Ah. Uh, I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't pop into theirs at the time. I'm surprised it's not in the movie, to be honest. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> so Drax gives a speech and it turns out that he's creating a race of new perfect physical specimens and that all the people in the space station will eventually return to Earth and shape it in th their image. Yeah, yeah, sex farm. Now, neither Bond nor Goodhead at this point look overly concerned by anything, do they? They're just kind of breezing through everything, you know? Yeah, I never thought about that. They do kind of take it in their stride. Mm -hmm. They're still, I mean, yeah. they're cracking, cracking jokes and kind of laid yeah. back about it, you know? That's true. But then do we ever really see Bond's good? It's very rare. It's very, very we... rare. But, I mean, it's even rarer in Roger Moore, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe live and let die. Because he kind of plays him slightly differently, live and let die, I think. Than, than I think the... also view to a kill. Yeah, but then again, he's probably worried about his back and, and his legs. His hips are probably... Yeah, you know what I mean? All right, fair enough. be careful then, doesn't he? Okay. So Bond wants to find the jamming system to stop it operating so that Earth will see the station and investigate. Mm -hmm. um, they enter the room, and Goodhead, she just goes crazy. She knocks out one of the guys. She's, like, punching them. For a minute, Bond's just watching, yeah. and then he finally deals with the other guy. I, I like this scene. I like the fact that she got she got to kick some ass. Oh, yeah, seriously. By the way, the lights that are on the desk in this scene, they're from Space 1999. <laughs> are they really? Yeah, same designer. <laughs> Tal Italian design. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. So she knocks out the jamming system, and Earth sees the space station, and we get a scene of the Russians and Americans arguing about who put the space station there. And the Americans decide they're going to launch Marines on a mm -hmm. space shuttle to investigate. It's a good job this wasn't today, isn't it? Yeah, right? We wouldn't have one. Plus, it takes forever to launch. And then if it's cloudy, they don't go. <laughs> That's true. Oh, we'll go next week. Oh, look. Yeah. The poison's killed everybody. <laughs> well, never mind, eh? <laughs> now, at this point, I have to ask, why doesn't Drax notice that they're visible from Earth? Do they not have a warning that tells them when their jamming stopped operating? <laughs> you think you'd have a big red light, wouldn't you? Yeah, but there's nothing. Like, I mean, they've got lights for everything else. Right. So, just finds... Bond and Goodhead as Drax launches a globe to Earth. And Jones and Bond fight, but more people turn up and Bond has no choice but to give up. But Bond does kick him in the nuts, which seem to be made of metal. Yeah, that's a new thing, right? Or is that... That's, mm. so, that's never been done before. See, that's yeah. another really stupid character choice. It's real, the, it is a lame it's like gag, as if, isn't it? As if Jaws isn't bad enough, you're going to now make it even worse. But, um, you've, got to, you've got to feel sorry for his new girlfriend, though. I mean, if he's metal down there... She's going to get hammered, isn't she? <laughs> you mean she'd have to get drunk first? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what okay. I meant. Good, good save there, Thank Colin. You. Well done. <laughs> so, Drax's space station sees the launch of the Marines from Earth and discovers that the jamming system, finally, is no longer working. Mm -hmm. Jaws takes Bond to him and Drax says the best line of the film and almost the best line of any James Bond film. Go for it. James Bond, you appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. That's your favourite line. I love that line. And then Bond says, I thought there were no seasons in space. And he says, as far as you're concerned, only winter. Oh, fantastic. I prefer my one at the end of the movie. You appear with the tedious inevitability of an unloved season. Okay, well, well, let's just compare it with my favourite line when we get there and see see what the listeners think is the best one. Yours is probably something like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But it's a Bond film, so they don't swear. <laughs> it's close. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew mine would be better. So Drax launches a second globe, mm-hmm. and the globes will form a necklace around Earth and explode, covering the Earth in toxins from the Orchid, which will kill all human life on Earth. Then Drax will populate the Earth with his new people. Yeah. I wonder how many he's going to, uh, you know, do the bit. Populate himself. Yeah. It's obviously part of his plan, isn't it? I think so. Mm. Well, you you would, wouldn't you, if it was you? Wouldn't you? No. (laughs) (laughs) With the Marine Shuttle approaching, Drax initiates his laser defense weapon. Actually, have you ever noticed how Drax looks like the villain from Black Hole? Yes, he does a bit. Yeah. Yeah. He even sounds like him a little bit as well, doesn't he? Right, and the command center looks kind of like with with the Nost- with the screens going to a point. Yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. Nostromo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wasn't just me then. All right. Bond points out that anybody not matching up to Drax's idea of human perfection will be exterminated, and Drax replies in the affirmative. Bond says this so Jaws will hear it because neither him or his shark glasses wearing new girlfriend will meet Drax's standards. She's hardly um pug ugly, is she? Oh, no, no, it's one of those, oh, we'll put glasses on her, put her hers in pigtails, and oh, she's terrible. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, wait, no, she's not. She's, she's nice. Again, though, I mean, him and her together, I mean, she's going to break, isn't she? You don't know. Maybe she'll break him. Yeah, but he's got metal balls. Or maybe she has a titanium fanny. <laughs> <laughs> so Drax tells Jaws to throw Bond and Goodhead out, the Urlock, but now... Jaws isn't so sure. He hesitates, and then he attacks the guards. But the guards manage to grab all of them. Yeah. The marine shuttle is now in range, and Drax is about to fire the laser. Bond sees a handy control marked emergency stop. <laughs> why? Well, in all fairness, he's, he's been there? in this position so many times. He's looking for that button, isn't he? Why would you have a button that stops the... <laughs> With a big red button as well. Yeah, marked <laughs> emergency stop. What kind of emergency requires you to turn off the gravity? <laughs> um, I've got nothing. No, there isn't, right? There's no, <laughs> there's no way that button should exist. Well, it's there for Bond. You, so you reckon the designer, when they were building this space station, they were like, oh, we should put a, we should put a button right there for what? Mm-hmm. For the emergency stop that turns off the anti-gravity. But why would you do that? Well, this guy, this Drax guy kind of a evil overlord type person and you know there's going to be some kind of person so i below eight maybe will come along and they're going to need to stop and turn off the anti-gravity so he can save the day so we'll just put the button in exactly i, I mean it's, it's that's what you're going to get when you've got bird minimum on the case oh you're right the bird did it yeah, he's flying around with his paws. He doesn't know what he's doing, does he? You know? Oh, okay. So he, he's to blame for the button. Yeah, well, that's what he's there for. He's there to be blamed. That's why he's so disgruntled. Ah, that's, okay. That's why he always looks so grisly all the time. Oh, you went there. Okay. <laughs> all right, so now the space station stops spinning and everybody is floating around and stuff is crashing and the artificial gravity obviously no longer works. Mm-hmm. And then astronauts are leaving the space station with powered suits. And the Marines have their own astronauts with jet-powered suits and laser cannons. Both sides open up with lasers. And everything just goes completely bonkers, doesn't it? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and, I, and I have a note here. Great model effects. 
funnily enough, the, 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 the miniature people flying around don't look too bad. Okay. It's when you have to deal with ships and, and things. It's because they were real miniature people. Is that what they did? Yeah. They just found a lot of small people. Yeah. Small no, people. No, I don't know. No. So the Marine shuttle tries to dock while the battle takes place, and there's you know lasers flying everywhere with a mm-hmm. laser-type sound. And it's that time in the Bond movie where we destroy the set, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a technician finds a button that says anti-gravity back on or something. And he hits it. <laughs> or something. Yeah, well. How funny would it be if that's what it actually said? <laughs> anti-gravity back on or something. <laughs> In brackets. Just, just, no, no, it just says plot device. <laughs> Plot device, please touch in times of emergency. No, please only use in third act. <laughs> yeah. So another globe is launched. Now Jaws is on Bond's side, and they're fighting with each other to make their way to the command center, and the Marines have reached the command center. Drax makes his escape, pursued by Bond. They have mm-hmm. a face-off. Explosions are occurring around them. Drax pulls out a gun. Bond raises his arms. And fires the darts from his wrist weapon, hitting Drax. And then he puts Drax in an airlock and fires him into space. And he tells him to take a giant step for mankind. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The Marines have taken the station, but there's still three globes of poison heading back to Earth. They have to be destroyed. And the walls of the space station at this point are going crazy, aren't they? Oh, yeah, everything's breaking up, twisting. What are they made out of? They've got all rubbery. They've got all rubbery. They look like cloth. Yeah, they do. But that's the effects of space and vacuum. Is that right? You've re- researched mm. that particular oh, point. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's the only thing I researched. <laughs> it doesn't show. Good. The surviving Marines head back to their shuttle. Bond says Drax's shuttle is their only option. It's armed with a laser. Where did he get this information from? Um, bare minimum. Oh, he gave it to him. He had a chat he, with him on the he, way. He just growled it across yeah. the command centre. <laughs> but Bond okay, speaks well. Burr, doesn't he? Of course, but not, he's not fluent. He just speaks the minimum. Cod Burr. Mm-hmm. So they board the shuttle, but the docking release is jammed. Meanwhile, Jaws is looking for his girlfriend and finds her. And there's a romantic moment there. And he gets a line. He says, well, here's to us. Yeah, beautiful. Tears yeah. to my eyes. <laughs> or something. <laughs> plot device Bond sees Jaws and using the communication equipment he tells him the docking release has been jammed can you help them Bond bites through the connection cable releasing the shuttle is this one made of licorice as well um, yes I believe it is that's good isn't it yeah they, they went to the same place I think you'd make it out of something nicer though wouldn't you marzipan no because you don't want people biting it <sighs> obviously obviously I didn't so, think about that no yes. Jaws and his girlfriend spin off in a capsule, and then the space station explodes. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Goodhead has a visual on the first of the three globes heading towards Earth. Bond manages to destroy the first one, and then the second one. But the shuttle is going to break up because of the heat. The automatic laser has failed, and Bond now has to fire manually. The controls have stopped responding. Bond aims. (gasps) He misses. The globe enters Earth's atmosphere. It's the last chance. Bond takes another aim. And destroys it. You know what's funny about that whole sequence is that it was far more dramatic with you just telling me what it was. <laughs> really? 
yeah. There was no dr- drama in any of this at all, I didn't think. Because it's yeah. not like he's going to miss, is it? Right, but you could say that about every film, right? Yeah, but, but some do it better than others. Okay, so you're saying the way they handled it in this film is not I think very so. good. I think so, Like, yeah. uh, Sean Connery deactivating the weapon in Doctor No is tension-filled. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this, it just seems... Maybe it's because of the, because the movie itself is so ludicrous and the fact that they're in space in these space shuttles and everything that's happened is so ludicrous that it takes the edge off any kind of drama. You know, there's no... There's nothing there that, that keeps you on the edge of your seat, I don't think, at this point. Does Sean Connery defuse a bomb in Doctor No, or is that Goldfinger? That's Goldfinger, actually. All right, maybe I should do that whole uh, sentence again. But then, I, <laughs> then I'd have to cut it and put it before what you just said. Ugh, can't be asked. <laughs> well, let's just say, I knew you were wrong, but I didn't like to say. I, okay, <laughs> but, but does he defuse a bomb in Doctor No? Probably does. <laughs> <laughs> He's done so many. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what I mean. It's it's just yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's not to say that I'm not enjoying it. I'm just saying that there's no tension in the scene at all. Right. And on Earth, we get the control center reporting that Jars and his girlfriend survived and are in the ocean. In case we want that spin-off show. Oh. Well, he survived that waterfall incident, so he can survive anything. Yeah, but falling through a waterfall is not the same as burning up in the atmosphere, is it? <laughs> but Bond points out there's only hundred miles to go. Oh, that's all right then. Yeah. Maybe he gritted his teeth and held on to his metal balls. Or maybe he gritted his balls and held on to his teeth. <laughs> I don't know. One of the two. I like that version better. Okay. So they try to contact Bond. This is M and NASA and everybody and Q. And we get a visual patched through to White House and Buckingham Palace. And Bond and Goodhead are sexy time. And... This is my favourite line. Good God, what is Bond doing? I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Do 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 do. <laughs> and oh, that's come on, that's a better of... line than that's a better line. No, it's not. It's just a jokey line. Mine's poetic. It's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that Bond was so highfalutin. Sorry. <laughs> In this film, he is very highfalutin. Space. Oh, I knew you were going there. I was hoping you weren't. To space? Yeah. Well, I changed my mind. <laughs> and that's the end of Moonraker. So. Oh, no, I she think... tells him, he, she, she, doesn't she say to him, the final line is, take me around the world again one more time, James. And he almost winks at the camera at that point. Yeah, I was hoping to miss that point now. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to me. I'm not going to miss it. <laughs> All right. And now, Moonraker yes. ends. That's right. So I think we should, before we summarise our feelings about moonraker we should go on to full disclosure that we are major bond fans absolutely we are there, there are no i was gonna say there are no bad bond films but there are <laughs> yes, oh there really are <laughs> there is half a bad bond film are we talking about uh, a particular yeah die another day which is half of a bad bond film and half of a good bond film. yeah the, the first half of them of that is is good yeah, yeah. So okay. Less so when we get to the invisible cars and ice palaces. It takes a really, really bad Bond film for us to dislike it. It does. Yeah, it does. So I think yeah. we should just put that up front now. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, <laughs> a hit or a miss for Moonraker from 1979. <clears throat> okay. Well, this is a weird one for me because 
I've I've always kind of liked Moonraker, even though it's it is the one that everyone laughs at. It hasn't aged well, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I think it's one. Of, I, I think the, a lot of the later seventies ones haven't aged well, whether it be the way they look or the tone. Okay, their attitudes. Yeah, their attitude hasn't okay. aged well. It's a clone of Spiral of Me, obviously, and um, I think there's better examples of Roger Moore's Bond. You know, the Spiral of Me or uh, Live and Let Die. Right. And um, I, I even think that View to a Kill is probably a better movie than Moonraker. Ooh, that's controversial. I'm sure it is. But having said all that, it's really, really good fun. This film. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy it when I watch it. Roger Moore's on top form, as we said before. Right. He know he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not going to deviate from from the formula at all. Bond is Roger Moore. Exactly. Yeah. When we get to see the action sequences properly, and when it's not people against blue screen, it the action's really really good. It's what we've expected from from Bond at this point. Right. And oddly enough, this you know I've got a, a seven year old boy, and this is the only Bond movie that I've watched with him so far because I, I felt it was the only one that was suitable for his age and he loved it i can see totally see why because as a kid i loved this as well this was probably one of my first bond movies that i can remember watching outside of you know the older ones which seemed old back then as well you know the sean connery ones yeah so it's not a good movie and it's not even a good bond movie but i really like it so yes i'd put it on there i'd I'd, I'd include it watching it i was surprised that the space sequences only formulate the last half hour of the film. That's true, isn't it? For a film that that was marketed as a space movie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my mind, and I've seen this film numerous times, I inflated the space sequences to be a larger portion of the film, but it's only the last half hour that you occur. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten how many good stunts there were in this film. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten how many really good lines there are. Oh, there's a lot. I mean, they're on top form with the lines. Oh, yeah, the dialogue is really nice mm-hmm. in this film. And Roger Moore um, knows how to deliver them, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, he's got it down to a T at this point. Absolutely. I was never a huge fan of Moonraker, but oddly enough, the more I watch it, the more I like it. And I wonder also if that's because it's such a departure from what we get now as Bond, which is this miserable, dry, dull action film. Mm -hmm. This is kind of, it's campy, it's fun. It's let's have a laugh with Bond. Let's do things we've never done before. And the stunts are impressive. Um, I'd like to see a, a, a mixture of the two. I'd like to see a modern Bond movie with the sensibilities of a modern Bond movie, but with the kind of touches of lightness. I mean, you don't have to go full comedy, do you? But, but have some right. lightness. I mean, they tried it a little bit with Spectre, but Daniel Craig's just not very good at it, I don't think. He's good at Bond. He's good yeah. at playing Bond, but he's just not good at that kind of Bond. Yeah, he's good as a, a fuggish kind of Bond. Mm-hmm. A Bond that runs through walls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I never see him... Like, the one-liners, they always seem a little fast when he does them. Similar to, to Dalton. Dalton... I mean, don't get me wrong. We, I know we both love Dalton's Bonds, but mm-hmm. the, the one-liners with with him never they didn't really flow, did they? Well, the problem is, Living Daylights was written for Roger Moore, mm-hmm. so it's his voice really. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess License to Kill is truly a Dalton film, yeah. but License to Kill took a strange turn yeah. of events, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, with its setting. Yeah, it's not my favorite Bond film. It never will be my favorite Bond film, but it's also not the worst. Mm-hmm. And it is a fun film. I'd forgotten how much fun it was. And I'd also forgotten how much it is a truly a detective kind of film for Bond in that he's on his own working things out. There are clues that he uses mm-hmm. to get to the next scene. Yeah. Whereas modern Bond always has an earpiece and he can just talk to whoever's back at home. He's never on his own anymore. I feel exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same. So you never feel he's in peril now because he can just talk to Q or whoever or M. But this is Bond. There's literally at times in the modern Bond movies where there's people talking him around corners. Yeah, right. So you know? why is he? He doesn't. He just, basically, modern Bond is just a guy you send out to hammer a nail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Roger Moore's Bond is a guy you send to figure out things like where does that nail go in the first place? Isn't there a line in one of the modern Bonds where M actually calls him a blunt instrument? Yeah, I think so, but that's not what no. Bond was. No. And watching it this time, where we have to actually look at every scene, I never realised how it pieces together so well. Is that there are clues and that he is following them? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so. Ooh, yeah, it's a hit. It's a fun film, and I think for the for the ten year old, the nine year old, it's a great Bond film. It must be amazing. If yeah. I was ten or nine year olds, I'd love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you know, as you get older, you switch back to the Doctor No or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then and then as you get older, older, you come back around to Moonraker. Come back to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we are just children again. <laughs> that is true. But it's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminded me of what it was, what, what it felt like to be a kid watching Moonraker, watching right. it this time. I felt, you know, so it's a hit. So yeah. it's not a shocker, really, for us, is it? Not really. No. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of Retrospection. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, trip down James Bond memory lane. Bond's alley. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to suggest a film or TV show, then you can contact us at retrospection at email.com. You can find us on Twitter at Retrospecky, and you can find us lurking on Facebook. You can also, if you like, see our playlist on Spotify that features all the themes from the films and TV shows that we've reviewed. Join us in our next podcast when we, like Jaws, take a bite out of Dracula from 1979 by John Badam. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.